Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is Tuck from Fit for a King. You may know them as this year's hype metalcore band, uh, according to Metalcore Reddit, at least. Last year, it was Wage War. The year before that, it was Architects. And this year, it is Fit for a King. And for good reason. Their new record is great. They've been putting in the work for years, and despite the fact that they can't tour this year, I think this has been their breakout year. They just hit a million listeners on Spotify, which is amazing. And so I wanted to sit down with him and talk a little bit about exactly how they did it, really get into the mechanics of the specific things, like how exactly did Spotify help, what role did radio play, and how do you make that happen, as well as how to get a manager or booking agent or any of those other people that you might be looking for if you're a musician. And I also wanted to talk to him about his new company, FeaturedX.com. That's basically like a marketplace for features. So if you're in a band and you want a guitarist or vocalist or whoever else to feature on your song, then you can just go to FeaturedX.com and pick from people like Spencer from Ice Nine Kills, Lil Lotus, Shane from Silverstein, and hundreds more. It's a super cool company. And we get into exactly where they're headed with that in terms of strategy. But before I get into it, I wanted to quickly mention a couple ways that you can help the show if you are so inclined. Number one, share it on social media because the podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and stuff don't really do a great job of surfacing this stuff. So when you share it on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Friendster, Orcut, Bebo, we don't care any of that. It really helps us tag me, tag the guest. Also, if you really like us and really want to support the show, you can support us on Patreon. It is because of the support of people on Patreon that we're able to do the show at all. That is how we afford to pay Deanna, the amazing producer and editor that makes this all happen. Patrons get every podcast a week early. There's a members-only private Discord server that I'm in all the time. There's a way to have me review your band or music video or graphic design portfolio or anything else that you might want to get my eyes on. So if you are interested in that, you can hit the link in the show notes. And with that out of the way, let's get into it. Tuck, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Finn. Thanks for having me, man. I'm stoked. Well, it's not morning because you're, you're in Texas, correct? No, I'm actually in New York. My band is from Texas. Ever, so three of the guys live in Fort Worth. Daniel, our new guitar player, he lives in um, Rancho Cucamonga. And I live in Brooklyn. So oh, okay. I have been up and at them for quite some time. Morty did shoulder day and back at it. So Nice. How long have you been in Brooklyn? I've been here for a year, um, but I grew up in upstate New York. I grew up in the Hudson Valley near like Poughkeepsie in that scene in between that and Albany. Home of all out war 
and the Newburgh Skate Park. Yeah, the, oh my gosh. Yeah, seriously. Wow, you know. Okay. Yeah, All Out War is probably, they're one of the biggest bands. Like them and Coheed are probably the biggest bands from our area. But they just played in Beacon last year, and it stinks. I was on tour when they did that. It was like a benefit show for um, Mind Force, I believe, because the guitar player had gotten in a car accident or some something like that. Um, but that band is fantastic, too. They're Two best bands in the area right now, I'd say, are Mind Force and this band Soulblind. They're more of like a shoegaze, hardcore band. It's the natural course of life as you start out in a triple B hypecore band and you turn into shoegaze after exactly. two or three years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting seeing the younger people and like that's what they're doing. They're like, I want to be a SoundCloud rapper and be in a shoegaze band. Um, <laughs> and it's like, all right, that's cool. Like, I'm, I, it sounds good. I like it. Follow your I dreams. I just can't do it. Yeah, I tried rapping on something once and it's a it, catastrophe. Terrible. Well, you know, Not there's uh, I, I like to use the phrase mistakes were made for that. Like when George Bush, uh, you know, would apologize for droning the wrong person or something. He would say mistakes were made, you know, and, oh, and wow. maybe maybe uh, maybe Tuck <laughs> rapping isn't as bad as uh, accidentally droning civilians. But true, you know, that's uh, that's up to the to the listeners to decide. I want to ask you about, uh, I guess, working as a distributed band, because, you know, that's kind of the thing everyone or a lot of people are figuring out how to do is work remotely. But I wanted to ask a couple other things first. Main thing is like, I guess I'm curious to hear how you guys have been dealing with COVID because correct me if I'm wrong, but this actually seems like it's been kind of a breakthrough year for you guys. Yeah, it it has. And it's interesting because I guess at the time when COVID started, we were five days into a world tour that we were about to do. And things seemed to be doing well, like ticket numbers were there, the hype was starting to build, and we had a very solid lineup. I mean, it was Alpha Wolf on their first American tour, Crystal Lake, who is just phenomenal, and Chelsea Grin. So, banger of lineup. But we wanted all this hype. We were doing the world tour into a Parkway Drive tour that we were supposed to be doing currently and release the album. And I guess when all of that ended, we thought, man, this might really hurt the record. And I think through, you know, assistance with even, you know, things as simple as, you know, playing along with Spotify versus, you know, fighting the man, that definitely helped. Explain that to me. Well, I guess when you, you know, work with something like Spotify, if you can find someone who can help you that actually works within the company to be like, you know what, you guys are doing really well, you're catching a lot of steam, so now let's place you in this playlist and this playlist will put you at the cover of it you know that will draw attention to the band so we can't take credit for stuff like that because you have to have someone that either gives a shit enough or likes your band that's like you know what i like this i'm gonna do that and that's a large part of the politics of being a musician as well which is you have to be nice and fun to work with and not be a pain in the butt and then half of that is also just the luck of if people care if it's going well so you know we we were in a building process despite the year being completely bunk i think just our core fan base and a lot of new people are just into the band we got lucky our producer drew he really helped us to crush this record we had a goal we knew what we wanted to do there was no it was really fun it was a really like uplifting happy experience creating this record which is interesting because i'm always the more uh 
emotional member, I suppose. But despite all things, it, it's hard to summarize how we ended up having a better year. But um, I'm pretty blown away at the fact that we placed as well as we did on Billboard and sold the records we did without any touring. Now, for people listening, say you go on a Warp Tour people used to do like, oh, you buy two t-shirts, you get a pre-order, stuff like that. That inflates your numbers, which is not wrong. It's cool because those people do get the record, but that's what helps you to create a massive first week. And they've changed that now. Yeah. 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 And us not being able to do any form of physical pre-orders on the road throughout this time or like say on a parkway drive tour playing to three to 8,000 people a day. It was a shot to our our situation, but somehow it, it worked out. It's just the fans are incredible. I'm blown away by it, you know, because now there's no trickery. It was just seeing raw numbers for us, I guess. Well, it seems like you guys kind of got anointed as the um, Reddit Metalcore uh, hype band of the year. It was like Wage War <laughs> the year before, yeah. Architects the year before that, and it seems like Fit for a King was that band this year. And it's funny, too, because the Reddit core people, when we were releasing the singles, certainly... We're not very stoked on no. them at all. <laughs> no, they weren't. And that's exactly what Wage War went through as well. And then the night that we did the Twitch stream concert, we looked back and then comments were like, oh, they didn't go that soft. Like, these songs are heavy. And even the songs that they thought weren't that heavy, once you see them live and see the you know performance that comes with it, I think they understand like, you know, okay, there's there's some more substance to this than I maybe initially thought. So you do pay attention to what those people are saying and thinking. We read everything. I think that's really smart. I think it's crazy that there's people who don't pay attention to that because, yes, you know, Reddit Metalcore is only one relatively small part of the market, but those people are... You know, the they are the opinion leaders for everyone else. And if they love you, they will be advocates for you. If they hate you, they will fight against you. And I think that their opinion matters. Like, it has to matter. They're like your core consumer. Because they are, that's what I consider them, is they're the ones that truly will go out and buy a record. They'll buy a pre-order. They care. They'll, they'll buy, buy the 10 merch. of your records. If they really love you and want to support yeah. you, they'll buy 10. Exactly. So you can't ignore people like that. And that's funny. I made a point yesterday on my Instagram where, I, you know, when we put out Locked in My Head, people were like, oh, it's probably the label trying to make them do whatever. And I was like, no, I just sat on an acoustic, you know, I sat on a couch with an acoustic guitar and I wrote a chorus. That's what happened. But yep. the fans are just as guilty of always wanting a band to sound a particular way as well. So the reality is for a band like us, they don't realize that they have an influence, but they do because we actually read these things. So when we go into making a record, despite if we want to make a song like Locked in My Head, we're not going to go and do 10 of them because we know that that's a dumb decision and it'll ruin our band. And there's plenty of bands that we've seen who have hype that have things going for them. And then they're like, we're a rock band now. Yeah. And they destroy their band. Yep. We love being a heavy you can call it heavy metal, metalcore, whatever the fuck you want. We just like being a heavy band. It's just sometimes every record pretty much has had a soft song. This one just happens to be fun and not depressing. So how do you kind of think about this, uh, like the balance between 
listening to the fans and pandering to them because I go through, I read all my comments too. And I'm not going to do every single thing that commenters want me to do. But at the same time, if there's 200 people asking for a thing and it's something that I'm interested in, then I'm probably going to consider doing it. Yeah. And we, so, you know, we consider, and we've made jokes about this where, you know, people are concerned about the heavy. So, you know, maybe we do just an EP of super heavy stuff. We have another really cool idea in mind that I can't put forward, but I try not to respond too much unless it's more positive things because there's no point in fighting with somebody that doesn't care. And regardless, even if they're saying something negative, it keeps attraction moving. And people always say that, you know, you can't achieve something great without some friction. And when you look at a band like Parkway Drive, people are like, oh, man, I wish they'd still play stuff like Ironworks or whatever. But, you know, one of the early records, the blue one or some mm-hmm. shit. Now, for every one of those fans that they lost, they gained 10. Now they are an arena band. They're mm-hmm. massive. You can want something, but that's not what's best for them as well. So you have to be able to, you know, kind of take their criticism and, and look through it logically and be like, well... We're not going to sound like Descendants or Creation Destruction. Everyone that says, oh, we sound you, we want you to sound like your first record. Then I look at Spotify. Then go and listen I see to that, it. Yeah, you can go listen to it. But the reality disappear. is the people that are listening to that, those records are small. Yep. It's not that there's so many people that want us to play our first two records. They're not even like 10-year anniversary tour big enough records. So don't, you know, they'll get trickled in here and there, but you just can't listen to that shit because it's not going to help you. It's very interesting to me how oftentimes in any kind of business, the most vocal people who you, you're really tempted to listen to, and not to say that you should disregard them, but there is that super vocal minority of people that really want you to do a thing, but it's kind of for selfish reasons, because like you said, it's not necessarily the best thing for your business, you know. Yeah. For example, like when I worked at Creative Live, which is an online education company I worked for for years, you know, there was a certain segment of people that always wanted this particular kind of photography class. And, you know, it's the same kind of thing. We had those classes in the catalog and they kept demanding it and demanding it. And every and, and every time we'd be like, well, you know, maybe we should do it. And we would do it and it would just kind of be not a dud, but sort of like fizzle. And yeah. then we realized, all right, there's this segment of people who are real and we respect them and we value them, but we can't just give them what they want every time because we have a business to run. Exactly. Yeah. It's a difficult thing to balance because I want everyone to be happy. But at the end of the day, I would say that our business and our core happiness is what's most important to us and that sounds selfish but regardless if we don't like the music we're playing or creating then we're not going to do the band so right i mean then why are you doing it why not just go get a job exactly you know especially like you know maybe i'm not as qualified for certain things but someone like kirby he's freaking brilliant he could do so many things he could you know and that's why we've been able to get to where we have because you know another big aspect of our band was being cheap and not spending money. We did two and a half warp tours in a van. We did mm-hmm. like shit nobody was doing when it came, you know, you only get a hotel on an off day. You don't go and like, and for instance, I'm a big pothead. I don't buy my pot with fucking band money. 
And there are bands that do have like a system because they all do. And, and <laughs> that's fine, fund. you know, because if one of my friends listens to this and they're like, hey, will you know that you do that? There's one. There's one that I'm like, you guys have a good system. Yeah, are there bands with a cocaine fund? That's what I want to know, because that's a sign that maybe you've embraced uh, this a little bit too much. I don't know if there's bands with a cocaine fund, but I've seen bands that definitely spend too much money on it. And then when they, you know, you keep in mind, you're in a, a bandwagon or a bus, you've got crew, you're spending money on that shit. Because that's not necessarily on your rider or whatever. You get beers, you get a bottle of liquor, but... Coke, generally, you're going to have to go buy that. It just doesn't, it's not conducive. We're at work, you know, <laughs> and and that's how you should kind of look at it. I don't, we've never really looked at touring as like, hey, we're on vacation. We're at work. And then when I go home, I get to live a really nice, comfortable life that allows me to feel fulfilled and not have to just, you know, go back to work as soon as I get home from tour. I don't work when I'm home from tour. Well, I'm glad you said that because I think that that's an important mindset shift that people should have, whether, you know, they're a creator of any kind. It's like, it is a job and there's going to be parts of any job that you don't necessarily enjoy or that are harder than others. And like, not every minute of this thing you're doing is going to be fun. You're not always going to get to do what you want. And and that's okay. I mean, that's just part of the deal. And I, I sort of wonder, uh, like with YouTubers that are 19, 20 years old that have never had a real job, and I hear them talking about how much they're struggling mentally and stuff and burned out and this, that, and the other. And I'm like wondering how much of that is because you've never had a job. Because when I was 19 or 20, I was working like fucking 60, 65 hours a week doing printing. And uh, let me tell you, that's a lot less fun than making YouTube videos. YouTube can be a burnout. Being on Warp Tour is a fucking grind. But I'd still rather be on Warp Tour than printing or digging ditches. Yeah, you, you definitely have to look at your glass and see if it's half full or half empty. And I think in situations like that, one, you know, I've gone and worked in restaurants and 120 degree kitchens trying to make people feel bougie and shit. And you have to you have to earn your stripes a little bit. And a lot of that comes with a band where, for instance, uh, growing up, the big system that a lot of people had a problem with was selling tickets for your shows, right? Mm -hmm. Pay to play. Pay to play. But I looked at it where I was like, so if I sell these, I sell 50 tickets, I get 100 bucks, I get people at my show, and I'll probably sell some merch. That's fucking sick. I'm going to do that shit. Selling 50 tickets isn't that hard. It's not that hard. And if it is it's that really hard, not. then you got a You're problem. You're in high school or some shit. You're, yeah. you know, you're in, you're in your young twenties. You're, you know, at community college. You can't tell, sell fifty tickets. The people that complained time and time again that wouldn't give into the system, that wouldn't do it, shit didn't work out for them because they didn't know how to hustle. And that is a massive part of being in a band because you can only change the system if you're fucking Chance the Rapper. If you are like some yeah. massive Taylor entity Swift. that's just she can yeah. tell the industry to fuck off. Yeah. You can't, you can't, young local band. What you should do is you should become best friends with that promoter. You should sell every ticket that you can so you can get on the best shows possible so your band grows. And then in a year, maybe two years, your band now can headline and draw locally and then get placed onto better shows because you don't have to anymore because you earned your stripes. And there was great bands I saw that just refused. And I thought it was silly. 
I want to dig into this because this is this is a conversation that I've had lots of times in the comments and stuff like this. And I, I'm curious what your thought on it is. So you said something, you used a phrase that I think a lot of people are not going to like, but I think is interesting of giving into the system. Yeah. And and I'm curious because I've had, you know, I, I don't know if you saw that video I made about Spotify, about how bands should stop complaining about Spotify, which is an admittedly strong title. But that's okay, kind of my whole... You my whole point of view on everything is like, it's not that you have to like the system. It just is what it is. And as you said, until you have leverage, you don't really have the option of fighting the system. Yeah. So for anybody that says, well, that's fucked up. You're being a coward. Why shouldn't we try to change the system? What would you say to that person? Go look at featuredx.com because that's me trying to change the system. If you want to do something, do it. Don't complain. Just do it. Me wanting to alter things or work on the industry or be able to change things, I have lots of grand plans. But I can't get there without, you know, two feet on the ground and doing it and working for it. And when it comes to something like Spotify, someone could look at this and say, well, look at them. They have a million monthly listeners, which, by the way, we we do. It's great. Yes, I noticed um, that. I was amazed by that. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's That was a hell of a day. But that does come along with working along with Spotify. But you don't get there by complaining. And at first, our band, we've watched it grow bit by bit by bit by bit by bit. Our band is definitely a slow grow band rather than those, you know, like a woe is me that you see just like. Yep. And, you know. So with that, we are able to look at our numbers, know what's real, know what's organic, be able to work with these people and be like, hey, we've seen this growth from here to here, from this record to this record. You know, I think the band's really catching steam. Listen to this stuff if you like it. It's the same thing with working with like Octane. First things first, they have to like it. They have to like I, I think so. I mean, between like Jose and Katie. I, I'm, I'm asking because I genuinely have no clue how, and I wanted to ask you about this, about how Octane yeah. works. I genuinely have no clue. Do they need to like it? Or, you know, I've heard other people say, some other bands tell me about how they spend a lot of money on radio servicing to get yeah. their shit on there. Uh, and, you know, the way some people would tell it, it's just essentially pay to play. Tell me, let's get into the mechanics of how Octane has worked for you guys. See, I guess it's interesting. The way that it's worked for us has been, okay, we like this song, but we don't know if it's a banger, so we're not going to put it right on Octane. We're going to put it on the accelerator. Okay, if it does well on the the lower tier, then we'll bump it up to the bigger tier. This is what the people at, at Sirius tell you. That's what happened with us. Okay. And how do you even get to the place of having a conversation with that person? having a good manager but also like um jose has been one we did the octane tour with ice nine kills about a year ago so that i think helped us because we met jose and stuff like that he got to see our band and seemed to enjoy it and even just someone like katie babs who works for them is super cool she's um her boyfriend hayden plays in crown the empire or fiance now rather but it seems like at least from my experience, that they want to like things that they mm-hmm. are going to actually push. But I'm sure, like anything, they'll still take your money and put you on the fucking 
radio. Like, I'm sure it's a give and take situation. I doubt every band there, like, I really like this band. I want to help them. On the other hand, I bet there's some bands where it is the opposite, where it's like, well, you know, they're they're a little bit smaller than we would normally put on here, but we really believe in them and we really like them, so we're going to push them. Yeah, it's like Tetrarch. There's this band called Tetrarch that's like a, a new metal rock band, and they're a smaller band, but they just signed to a label. I forget what it was, um, but I hadn't been too familiar with it. It's more in the rock world. But they're like on Billboard at number 36 as of last week and doing really well. So that stuff is possible. But as far as I know, when it comes to the FM stuff, that definitely does involve some money along with, um, you know, a helpful backing. But I could only truly answer that if I had Corey here because I frankly don't know. Sure. And is that your manager? Yes. His name's Corey Haiti. Super cool dude. Let's I want to knock down a few excuses that people may be making right now or maybe not excuses, but I want I want to I want to give people for anyone who's listening that's like, oh, well, that's easier for you to say you've got a manager. I want to knock this down. So you didn't have a manager at the beginning. You didn't have all these connections. Let's reverse. So you're saying part of the reason why we had such a great year was Spotify and Octane and the reason why. Part of the reason why we did so well with Spotify and Octane because was because of this manager. So let's back into that. How did you end up working with Corey and the other people on your team? What would attract someone like that to working with the band? Corey has actually been with the band since we were a local band. Um, he grew with us over the years. He's managed us for 10 years now. And we just grew together where now he's at alternate side with Zach Zorillo and um, Vange. Because he also has Hot Mulligan and a couple softer projects. Um, but he manages like us, Silent Planet, and Dayseeker, and a couple bands. Corey is just one of our best friends. He learned this with us. He's also a promoter in the Columbus area. He owns Bravo Artist, which pretty oh, okay. much puts on every concert yeah. in that area. Um, so while he was promoting gaining connections through that that really assisted him with growing with the band and helping us but he's also a you know a smart guy one thing to keep in mind he worked for our band for free for years until we were making money because remember managers get paid a percentage and when the yes. band is making $800 a year <laughs> that means the managers making nothing exactly and you know even with that kind of stuff, he wouldn't take little bits. He wanted us to become a band that could actually go out and sustain a living. And through us being frugal, the band was able to start like buying houses and living on their own on our, you know, on Slave to Nothing, which is our second album on a label. And that was like 2014? Yeah, in the, in the 20, that album came out in 2014. Yes, that was my first record with the band. Okay. One option is find somebody early on who will grow with you and you got to be prepared to cut that person off if they are actually not growing with you 100 percent. yeah it's it's one way to do it and i have bands that often ask me they'll send me a song or something be like well we want to find a manager we want to find a booking agent blah blah and i'm like you have 300 monthly listeners yeah you're not ready for that you need to go out there and promote yourself promote your channels and actually learn how to be a band before we can manage anything 
the important thing for people to remember is you got to ask yourself what's in it for them. And I don't mean to be a dick saying this, but that's just reality. These people, it's their job. And a booking agent can only book so many bands a year. A manager can only manage so many bands. They get paid a percentage of your income or a percentage, you know, from the band in general or from booking a show. And no matter how much they like you, if they've got a mortgage and a kid or something like that, it just financially doesn't make sense for them to take on a bunch of bands that aren't paying the bills, no matter how much they want to. Yeah. And he's getting paid because he's producing things and he's working like going and having meetings with people at Spotify or Octane or helping to, you know, or reorganize tours and, you know, talk with our agents. And there's lots of stuff that Corey has to do because I, I, totally understand where some people also it's really great to see some bands that manage themselves now like august burns red silverstein stuff like that it's very cool straight from the path those guys have also been doing this for like 20 years so they've been able to watch how it's done exactly they eventually have all the connections they have it down they know exactly what they need to do and they can do that but also if you want to do that for yourself you have to understand that it's a you know a 40 60 hour a week job And no one in our band wants to do that. And we also fucking love Corey. Like, he is my brother. Like, I have, you know, I don't know. You got to love your manager enough to give him your social security card, for Christ's sake. True. Your number, rather, you know. And with him, and it's because this, it trickles down to a simple two. I hear bands that take out merch guys and stuff, and they hear, oh, we got robbed. Someone took this. You are not sourcing out your people properly. You robbed yourself. (laughs) Some guy, some guy uh, walked up to me on the street and asked if he could hold my wallet for a minute, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, why?" And then he took off with it. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, pretty much, man. It's just crazy because there is a lot of you know when your band starts doing well, those are there's a lot of sales. It's very easy to steal a hundred dollars a day if you're sure. a merch person and put it in your pocket and walk away. So you have to really just make sure you're around people that you know you want to work with, that you love, that you care about. And luckily, Corey has just been with us for so long i don't even think we can imagine what life would be like without him so i guess our situation's a little different than most um because we didn't like get bigger and then attract a manager but i will say at one point in our career we brought on a second manager who was bigger had bigger acts we thought was really going to help and Corey was going to maintain the day-to-day stuff and then about a year and a half maybe two years down the road we heard through the grapevine that he said about us and another one of his acts that was doing well. Man, those bands are just on autopilot. And then we were just like... Then what are we paying you for? We, us and the other band, fired him the same day, ironically enough, within like two hours, and we didn't even know. <laughs> so then we called each other and discussed it. But, um, you know, we, we want someone that's going to give the effort that we give and we care a lot and we really love what we do. We love touring. We love being a band. So, you know, we try to keep ourselves on a smaller team. Solid State's a very small team, but they care very much for our band and we're able to have leverage in that situation as well because as you've talked about on your show, the Christ Core thing isn't really a popular you know, genre anymore. That whole thing has kind of come and gone. Well, I want to talk about that. So I want to, I want to make sure we have time to talk about feature decks because I'm very interested in that. But let's, let's talk about the Christian thing because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys do identify as a Christian band. Yeah, kind of. I, you know, the way I would put it now is we are 
Christian guys in a band. Oh, that that old thing. Because we don't we don't sing about it. Yeah, you know, there's one song on the new record that you know is kind of religious. There's one on the last one's kind of religious, but even dating back to the OG of the band, like we don't we don't preach on stage, we don't do all that stuff that like the Four Todays did and whatever. So when you look at it, it's also us using it as a crutch just as much because it's not like we were out there like really preaching this shit. Like, well, the Christians in a band thing is what they used to say when the uh, the bands that made all their that 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 made their uh, their following off the back of the Christian scene and yeah. then wanted oh, to yeah. like become secular would sort of say that like, well, we're just Christians in a band now. <laughs> See, I think a lot of it for us now, at least, is just the political environment because people just, you say you're a Christian, everyone thinks you're a fucking bigot. And understandably so. I read the same things everyone else is reading. I don't disagree with you. But the other thing is, I'm 31. I have time to think about what my belief system is. And it's, I'll put it this way, you know, like... I am a logical human, so there's certain things within those readings that I can think is realistic, and there's certain things where it's just like, that dude did not live in that fucking whale. I don't give a shit what you say. So so you don't attack people with a club if they're wearing wool and cotton at the same time? Nah, it's okay. <laughs> it's not what it says in Leviticus, buddy. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, it, it's just difficult as you get older, I think, for anyone to... There's a lot of people who are my age who are super steadfast in their faith, and they believe everything that they read, and that's fine. I just can't say that for myself. Bob, who's our guitar player, is openly not religious now as well. Like... It's just part of growing up, too. And that's why we don't talk about the Christian thing. We actually tried to take it off our Wikipedia, and Kirby changed it enough times, and people corrected it where he got blocked. <laughs> so it's literally people won't even let us get away from it right. if you want to. And it depends on each member that you talk to. Isn't that interesting that like you're, you're not allowed to, to evolve? Yeah. It's like, well, no, this thing you said in 2011, you can't walk that back. Yeah, I was straight edge in high school, too. So, you know, it's like... Now you got to be straight edge forever. I'm straight edge forever. I will. I'll put X's on my hands now. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you settle that because my perception as somebody who, you know, is not part of the Christian scene. I mean, for anybody who's listening, I don't know if you haven't seen my video about what killed Christian Corey, you can watch that. I have, I'm not religious, but I have always had a soft spot for Christian bands uh, in a lot of different ways. That said, my perception from outside that scene is that being a Christian band or Christian adjacent band now is not as stigmatizing or polarizing as it was in the 90s. But it sounds like I might be a little bit, uh, I might be underselling that a little bit, and maybe it is a little bit more polarizing than I thought. It's a little difficult, man. It's not, because I love talking to kids about their faith. I love talking, you know, seeing that spirituality can get someone through really hard times. I think faith is an incredibly beautiful thing. But when there are so many politically disgusting acts happening, on the planet and a lot of people tie it to this thing of Christianity and Christianity means white supremacy. And it, it's this trickle down effect that's just very difficult to manage. Um, and it makes you feel guilty for some of the things that you do feel just in terms of like 
well, man, do I even want to be affiliated with Christianity? Like I have faith. I want to go to heaven, but man, this is scary. Like, and that's just me being a human. Well, let me play devil's advocate there. And I understand if you don't want to go here, but I feel like the the music scene is actually pretty intolerant of Christians in, in the same way as that they would tell Christians they're intolerant. I feel like they're bigoted towards Christians. I would agree. I think there's a lot of people who, there's plenty of bands or people who have said, we don't want to tour with a band like that. And what what, what if they said the same thing about a Muslim band? Yeah, it's not really cool. No, But it's the not. great thing that you can do with that is, you know, and I make jokes about it on my show. You know, I had my friend Travis on who used to be in Varials and... I just call him out. I'm just like, so how does it feel to turn down a Fit for a King tour? Because you don't want to tour with people like that. And it's like, <laughs> we joke about it because now we're friends. And he knows, like, I'm not some super uptight Christian, like, dweeby guy. You know, I'm just a normal human. It just so happens that I grew up in a household where my parents took me to church. And, and I got a feeling from that. And it gave me something. And it gave me guidance. And I enjoy it. Because, you know, people that read books, they try to retain things and learn from them, you know, and they're, despite a lot of the craziness that happens in that book, there's still some good shit, you know, just be a nice person, don't be a dick all the time, love your neighbor, love your loved ones and take care of them, like just simple, simple things. I forget who said this, I just heard it on a podcast recently, but there was somebody who was saying, uh, put it perfectly, so this person is not Christian, but sort of like me. So I went to like Bible study classes and stuff with friends of mine who were Christian and stuff, just because I wanted to, you know, I didn't believe I, I didn't believe in God, but I said, well, I shouldn't just reject this. I should I, I should make an honest effort to understand it. So I did, and I learned a lot from it. And the guy in this podcast had done something similar, and he said, well, I don't believe in God, but I do believe that if you engage in the things that the Bible defines as sinful, it's going to make your life worse. Yeah. for the, I, You know, I'd agree for the most part. The only thing, the one major issue I had growing up with it was the way that it, Christians view being like homosexual or LGBTQ right. and stuff like that. Because, you know, you could look at it this way where you're like, well, when they wrote the Bible, they weren't considering political correctness. And maybe that's why it's phrased the way it is. But Regardless, you see the way people act, and if you're trying to say that you're a Christian and you're all about love and kindness and, you know, being good to the, those around you, I see you immediately not being as such, and that really hurts me because just, I, you know, I was like a theater kid, and, you know, that was a lot of my friend group and stuff, and, and still is, and it just bothers me because, again, the guilt factor where you're like, well... I love these people, but you don't. So I don't, well, I don't want to be on your team. I want to be on that team. Uh, all I would ask is that people who call out Christians for being bigoted, call out other religions for being bigoted in the same ways. Cause lots of them are, I mean, Christianity is, does not have a monopoly on bigotry by any means. No, sir. And you know, there's, there's a lot of really damaging stuff out there. And I think that's why just at this point in my life, I try to refer to myself as just like a man of faith. I try to let those things guide me. I don't go to church all the time. I'm not super religious. But the question I have often asked people is like, okay, well, what if heaven was real? And if you could get there just by like 
being a good person. You don't necessarily have to be like the most religious person. You got to be a good person, follow some things, and maybe you'll get there. That idea is enticing to me. I think that sounds nice. Do I have to kill people for eating shellfish? Yes. And, you know, <laughs> it's all in the goal of getting with a bunch of virgins, really. That's the thing. Right, it's like, right. I, you know. Well, I like the man of faith line because that sounds like something that a, uh, a cool, like, anti-hero... Like the preacher character in Punisher, did you see that? No, I the TV show. Yeah. No, I haven't watched it. There's a, a character in that that's like this sort of crazy murdering. He calls himself preacher, I think. This crazy like murdering like religious guy, and that seems like man of faith seems like a cool line that someone like that could say before he kills a criminal. Like I'm a man of faith before he like chokes the life out of him. Yeah, that'd be super hard. I would love that. See, that would be great. You know, have fun with your religion. Future career options for you. Dude, in my dreams, man. No, I'm going to, except for I want to be that actor and I want to do that shit. Not the the anti-hero. I don't want to be the actual killer. Choking criminals out. Yeah. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. 
And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Well, let's talk about featured acts because I thought that was uh, super interesting. How would you describe that for anybody listening? It is a platform for um, musicians with some form of notoriety to utilize a marketplace to sh- uh, sell features, do collaboration work, do studio session work. For instance, if it's just, man, I've got the song and I want a badass bass player or a great drummer on it or whatever, you can go there and you can hire them. Drummers will be up on Friday as of this week, which will be very cool. Okay. So you can book features, but it's not just like, oh, let me book this vocalist to do uh, a verse on this to make my song more popular. It's everybody. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. Um, You know, and that was initially, I think, you know, what we wanted to entice people with, because being a dude in a band, when we had this idea, we were putting together an EP for a band that we managed called Left to Suffer. And we were getting collaborations and we were like, my business partner, Jeff, just had the idea where he was like, man, what if there was just like a simple place to go and get all these and not have to deal with a bunch of red tape. And then I called some friends and we started making it happen. But then as that evolves, you have other people who are like, well, I want to participate, but I'm not a singer. I'm like, okay, well, how can we do this? Okay, this is how we can do it. And we can have you do some features or we can have you do session work. And then the bass players come and then the drummers come and and we just had so many people that wanted to participate. How do you tell the bass players that no, because nobody's interested in bass players? Well, I actually wasn't even interested in them until one person applied. And then I was like, this dude, Killian Duarte, he plays in Scale the Summit. He's absolutely bonkers. And... I was like, all right, I'm pushing. I don't I don't want to do basses yet. I don't want to do basses. I saw his application, and I was just like, okay, we'll do them this week. That sounds great. Fair enough. Yeah, those those guys uh, are something else. Yeah, insane players, and, and I just want people... There's a lot of young bands who apply to the site and want to be on it, because you can just go to FeatureDex.com and hit sign up and apply, which is great. Um, and eventually, we will have everyone. For now you needed to have some notoriety because we're trying to build up to something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not trying to like reject anybody or turn anybody down. We're just waiting, you know, trying to keep things enticing as, as fun as possible. It's like, I can't launch drummers unless I've got some badass drummers. I can't launch bass players unless I've got some badass bass players. So it's been a lot of fun, man. I really love doing it. I have two amazing business partners, Jeff Menig and Adam Pickney. Um, Adam is a web designer. He owns his own web design company and helped to build the site. He just thought the idea was cool and teamed up with us. And Jeff is the marketing director at the Masquerade in Atlanta and used to manage Sworn In uh, when they were like doing their super big come up when they were the hype band the hype band yeah he really orchestrated a lot of that super smart guy and one of my best friends we've been friends for 15 years he was the promoter in poughkeepsie when i was young so it was just a fun idea to put together and we, we got some cool ideas for the future to, to be able to expand it and have it be even more artist friendly and help the the system a bit i guess 
So I have a, a few questions about this. The first one is just the way that you described it, I thought was interesting, was from the point of view of describing the value to the people who were, to the artists who are featured on the platform. Like this is a way for you to use your notoriety to, you know, uh, to, to basically make some money uh, doing these features rather than describing it from the point of view of, of, so you're talking about it from the supply side rather than the demand side, rather than saying this is a platform for people, for independent musicians to book and collaborate with, you know, world-class musicians and the bands that they love. Yeah, I feel like... I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just interested in... I say it that way because that's how I have to sell it to the artists themselves. It's It's been... You know, there's plenty of times you get left on red or people aren't sure. interested or whatever. Um, but all in all, I'm trying to get artists to understand right now, no one is helping you. There's nothing that's going to come your way. You can do more vinyl. You can do more T-shirts. You can do that. Or you can be a musician as well. You are a musician. Let's be musicians. Let's be artists. There are plenty of people who would like to work with you that would love to collaborate with you. Why not give it a shot? And then when you get someone who's like a super stud, like a Kellen Quinn, and you see how many people really want to work with this guy, it's like, holy shit. Like, he had a great month. He was on my site for active for eight days and did well. He's cheaper than I thought. Yeah. Well, he wa- he owns his own development company where he's trying to um, work with artists and develop young bands so he really wanted to find some stuff that he cared about and he thought that this was a great way for him to get submissions and listen to bands and sing on stuff that he liked and he went the extra like fucking hundred yards like it was crazy where he wouldn't just do his 30 seconds he's adding in harmonies he's giving them ideas he really helped to make their songs better and it's just been great because there are plenty of artists where if they sing two songs a month they will pay all their bills. Mm-hmm. Make They'll a couple survive. Grand. They'll get through this. Yep. So I just wanted, because at first we were taking a percentage of each feature that came in. And pretty soon we realized, we were like, you know what? That's not necessary. That's not where the money is. We don't need to do that. Let's let them have the whole thing. We charge a service fee. It's nineteen ninety nine from the person who's requesting, which if you're buying a $1,000 feature from Brendan Murphy, an extra sure. 20 bucks is not that big of a deal. So that keeps things clean for us then, you know, for tax purposes and stuff like that too, much easier to deal with. Plus I just want my, the whole idea is we are operating under this idea of being artist owned and people being able to do what's best for themselves where the industry gets you twisted where you think managers work for, you work for managers and you work for booking agents and you work for the label. It's like, dude, I pay you, not the other way around, motherfucker. Exactly. You have to remember that. You have to remember that you are the entity and that you can do what you want. I know plenty of people were like, oh my God, all these guys are under contract. How are they going to be able to do this? Everyone's going to get sued, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, fuck you, dude. Like, we're going to do what you want. No one's helping us to survive. We'll see you when touring's back if you want to. But that has to be a concern, though, because, I mean, that's probably technically true in a lot of cases. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's on a case-by-case basis where I do talk to label owners. I talk to A&Rs. I talk to managers, all things considered. And some people, like Sharptone, couldn't ask for a kinder friend. Sean Keith is absolutely amazing. I know Sean a bit. He's a great guy. 
And he was just like, yo, let's get it. Let's do this. Like, and he's thinking in the big picture, playing the long game of like, is it going to help my business to fuck my artists out of making a couple grand a month during this very difficult time? Is that really the right thing for me to do? And when touring comes back, I do expect conversations to be had. But the way that that works out is, you know, let's give them this money. You get a percent. You, you'll, you can have royalties. That's fine. Totally. But the reality is these labels won't have artists if we don't all survive and have to go work at Arby's. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So right now we need to focus solely on ourselves, which sounds selfish. But I just wanted, I got tired of seeing all my friends just hurting, not just mentally, but financially and myself included. It sucks. I worked five days this year. Oof. So it's a it's a weird situation, man. So you're getting a lot of demand then, it sounds like. You know, once you put these people up, there are a lot of people that want to work with them. Yes, we've had um, over 300,000 page views and over uh, about 110 requests so far for features in two months. Okay, well, that's great. It's working out well. We're very excited about it. The requests are there. And it's starting to be really cool to watch where it's not just the big name people. It's not just Shane told getting all the requests. It's also smaller bands getting their requests because then you see that these people can utilize their core fan base, their Instagram, their Facebook, their Twitter, whatever, advertise themselves and make some money. It's as much as you put into it as I put into it. I can't, I can bring the horse to the water, but I can't make you drink. So we can put you up there and support you, but you have to also push yourself slightly. Yeah. So for anybody who's listening, what you have built here is what they call uh, in the technology business, a two-sided marketplace. And the reason I was asking about the way you described it is because in a two-sided marketplace, there's typically one side of that marketplace that's way easier than the other, either the supply or the demand side. Uh, and in this case, I'm not surprised, you know, getting these artists like, you know, you've got Spencer from Ice Nine Kills, you got Kellen from Sleeping with Sirens, Lil Lotus, and I don't know, you got what, two, 300 people on there now? Yeah, just over 300 people now. And a lot of them are, yeah, I mean, they're all, you know, legit, but a lot of them are like, you know, there's a fair number of like big names on there, like you mentioned. And in this case, I would imagine for sure getting those people to say yes on the supply side is the harder part than the demand side, because like you said, everybody wants Spencer or Kellen or whoever to feature on their song. Yeah, if if they don't know who I am or they're not interested in it, it's a really difficult sell to get people on the site because there's plenty of people that, you know, I want that I would love to work with. Anthony Green, if you hear this, please come. <laughs> but, you know, it's been a difficult sell. But then I have people like Spencer who I'm friends with who will do it. And then someone else sees it because he's doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, shit, I'll do that. And it's cool now because we had our first collaboration of two bigger bands. It's Spencer and someone else that will end up coming out. And they f found it and wanted to do it because of my site. Oh, cool. And that was super sick where they're like, oh, we didn't realize we could get, yeah, we want him to sing on the song. Fuck yeah. And we were like, yo, let's make it happen. Um, and it's it's just been really, really nice experience. But I can only get as far as, you know, my friends or people will help me really, you know. And we've had some cool people who are notable who have uh, contacted us, which is great. Some days I wake up and see applications and I'm like, whoa, you're here? Okay, like this is cool. But generally it's a lot of... Um, just diving in and trying to find people. But um, yeah, it's been great. I'm really excited. 
Well, I have a really specific question. I don't know if you would be the person to ask or if it's your, uh, I forget his name, your technical co-founder there. It, it looks like you're using PayPal for the payments. Yes. And I fucking hate PayPal. For, I do a lot of shit with payments for our company. I went balls deep in that to the level of like looking into each individual credit card transaction every month. And there's thousands of them to figure out why we we're getting declines. I fucking hate PayPal with a burning passion as a payment system. Yes. Why did you choose that? You and a lot of other people hate PayPal. <laughs> we chose it just because at the time when we were trying to build this, we got the idea and put the whole thing together in like two months. Got it. And and that is one great thing about PayPal is you can get up and running with it very quickly. Yes. Did you look at Stripe at all? Because you can move pretty quickly on that too. Yeah, that's one thing that's been brought up. We are looking at making some alternative choices so people can just use. The tax shit and all that, though? God, payments are a fucking nightmare. Well, that's the thing, too, with when we took out the, you know, if we take a percentage, PayPal also takes a percentage, and, you know, you have to pay taxes on it, and it's a lot. Well, even just tracking the taxes, that's one thing that PayPal does for you. And it sends out the, what is it, the 1099K is like the annual form, all that stuff. So PayPal does a lot of that stuff for you. But man, for anybody listening to this that wants to build any sort of a, any kind of a platform like this, do not take the payments part of this lightly because it is a giant fucking pain in the asshole <laughs> yeah yeah we we do want to alter that because there's been people too who just don't like to use paypal don't want to use paypal and i don't want to force anyone into anything it was more of a convenience thing at first because this has all just kind of come at us as sure. we've just been doing it as quickly as we can think essentially but there will be some changes there's so much that's going to change with the platform we're going to be doing co-writes we're going to be bringing in other people to be able to do you know producer work i have a lot of really fun ideas to be able to expand it and make it a true platform for everyone i've heard this idea so many times of like let me. I want to build a platform that connects professionals in the music industry. If you want a producer, if you want a drummer, if you want a photographer, blah, blah, blah. I've heard this idea. Somebody asked me about it once a week. Yeah, just nobody does it. Exactly. And I tell all of them, like, okay, we'll build it. I had to find an Adam. <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. guy is just a genius. And Well, I'm, I'm an idea guy. I just need somebody to build it. Well, but you're more than an idea guy because you have a network and, you know, all that stuff. So you, you bring a lot to the table. Yeah, Jeff was the idea guy. He was the big brain. I just knew, first thing I did was call Ryan Kirby and just be like, Kirby, if I make this thing, will you do it? And he was like, yeah. So then I call Tom Barber from Chelsea Grin. Then I call, you know, Telly from Word of Life. I call these people and just be like, hey, if I make this thing, will you do it? And then before that, I know it, I have, you know, 10 to 13 good people. And then once it's actually starting to being made, because that was the hardest thing, too, was selling people on something that literally didn't exist. We were building it. But if you're friends with them, they'll take the leap. And they did. And before I knew it, I had 60 people that were down to do it to launch with. And I couldn't be more thankful, man. It's crazy. I think it's just you get what you give, if, you know, and I'm I'm a little temperamental. I'm not always the easiest to deal with, but I'm really lucky that I have some great friends out there who were willing to take this chance with me. So it, it's cool. But we want it eventually to be something that's for everyone, not just the cool guys of the music industry, because I also want to I'm trying to expand into hip hop, going to expand into country, rock, 
everything. I want it all because there are so many musicians on this world that need and want to do session work all the time, want producers, want to do co-writes. They need, you know, songs for their beats. They need all these things. Just why isn't there an easy way to source it? Because nobody made it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. Well, I, I think it's an awesome idea. No, I, <laughs> I shouldn't say me, Adam, <laughs> but thank you. It's, it's really fun, man. And we've been lucky. I hope that it'll grow into what we imagine it can, but that's why we're just always trying to focus on what's best for, I'm a consumer. I am one of these artists. I am on the site. I want to make sure that it works for me, that it actually benefits my life and, and my band and stuff. So I'm trying to build it from that point of view. And, and Adam, who's our tech guy, plays in a band in Atlanta. He loves this kind of music. There's a reason why he's doing it. So he also looks at it from that standpoint where we're just not trying to rip people off and have it be difficult. We just, I think the more that you give and can be beneficial, the greater the outcome will be. I have another really specific question because, you know, I'm I'm into operations, I'm into the nitty gritty, and I want people listening to this to think about these things as they're kind of bouncing these ideas around in their head because there's a lot of things, such as payments, that end up being a much bigger deal than you think they will. One of those things is support. And, you know, we have a full-time person at our company that does nothing, well, one and a half people that do nothing but support. Uh, it is a non-trivial thing. And I can imagine, you know, artists are not the most uh, reliable people in the world on either side. I can imagine there are situations where, you know, maybe someone isn't happy. They, you know, they paid to book a feature or some session work and they're not happy with the outcome or, you know, it's not happening as quickly as it was promised or something like that. Or the person who booked the feature is being an asshole to the artist and they're like, what the fuck? Have any of those things happened? And how, how are you thinking about kind of the support side of things? I tell everyone to go fuck themselves. Now, it's, man, it's been pretty easy. For the most part, you know, there's been a couple PayPal issues, which has been the primary problem, to be honest. There was one time where for some reason, like, because all the file sharing and communication is on the site. So there was one time, like, the files person had thought they sent them it didn't go through so I had to just be okay can you get that person to send them back in terms of the actual collaborations themselves no one has told me any horror stories of not liking dealing with who they're dealing with which also not to be creepy but we can read Mm -hmm. the interactions and see everything within the site so we know how it's going so there's a good reason for people not to just make the deal outside the platform yeah and the other cool thing is now people are coming back and being like, man, I love that feature, but will you be in our music video too? Like, how can we figure that out? So then we figure it out where it's like, okay, are they going to do it remotely? Or are they going to come to you? Is what, where's the cost that can we find a videographer? We've actually done that for two of the artists now, which is really fun to see the fans or you know, users, whatever you want to call them, the people that are going and, and getting these um, features. I think they're more surprised that they're like, wow, this person is way nicer than I thought they would be and is really being helpful because all these guys are sitting at home. They're having fun Mm -hmm. doing this for the most part. Um, So we can take it to another level with that kind of situation. Because they get a chance, correct me if I'm wrong, but from the diagram of the process I saw, they get a chance to see, you know, to sort of um, approve the feature. So they're not just blindly saying yes to like, 
my whatever juggalo polka song the music comes first yeah they have to they get submitted the music they get submitted lyrics and social media platforms so that way they can look at the band make sure that they're vibing with them because a lot of it's too right. like their belief system and you know their morals and ethics they got to be careful about that for sure especially right now it's a big big problem so between that and just you listen first if the song sucks and you don't want to do it and and that's what I've heard from plenty of industry people were like you might they've said you might ruin music because guys are going to get people are going to get you know greedy and sing on too many songs well then don't but they you know but they don't yeah <laughs> people don't want to be associated with shit it doesn't matter you know I mean if you offer me like a lot of money I'll sing on a total <laughs> but for the 700 bucks I'm asking for I just want to sing on something good so nobody's accepted any turds as of yet, which is great. I love seeing people decline and not be interested into it because that means that they're being thoughtful. So Cool. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we both got other stuff to do today. So uh, I will, uh, I'll wrap it up here. Anything you want to add before I let you go? No, not really, man. I'm just thankful to be here. I love your show. I've been listening to it, and I take a lot of advice from you as well. I think a lot of people do. Um, so thanks for having such a, a really true and great channel for people to go and try to figure out how to focus on their passion. Because there's so many people that are young that are trying to be TikTokers or you know whatever, or artists of any sort. And it's nice that someone's actually trying to help. So I greatly appreciate it. And everyone out there, go to FeatureDex.com and work with your favorite artist. Cool. All right. And now let's answer a few questions. If you have a question that you would like me to answer at the end of my next podcast, just send me a DM or drop in the comments or whatever. You know where to find me. So let's get into a couple. From Tyler Granger, should I watch the ads? Does skipping ads help or hurt you? Well, let me explain how people on YouTube get paid. If you watch the ad, then uh, I think it's 55% of the money for that ad goes to the YouTuber and 45% of that goes to YouTube. I might be getting that split wrong, but it's a small majority in favor of the YouTuber over, uh, over YouTube. And that only happens if you watch the ad. So if you skip the ad, the YouTuber does not get paid. But you don't have any obligation to watch ads. You don't owe us anything. Like if you want to sit through ads to help us, then we certainly appreciate that. But like you don't have any obligation to do that. Google built this business knowing that a lot of people will skip ads. Uh, I started my channel knowing that a lot of people will skip ads. And, you know, you should do what makes it's on us to give you a good experience that you enjoy to ask you to do something you don't enjoy for our benefit is like, that's, that's not the way the world works. So if you want to sit through the ads by all means, like we certainly appreciate that, but don't feel like you have to. The other thing is YouTube premium. So if you have YouTube premium, then you don't see ads at all. And the way that works is that your YouTube premium money gets split up between all the videos that you watch. I think. So do know that when I go look at how much money I made every month from uh, from YouTube, some chunk of that is YouTube premium. Um, and so I think it's like split up just according to like, if you watch like, what is it, 15 bucks a month? And if like half of the time you spent on YouTube was watching my videos, then I think I get half of that money. I'm not sure. But I guess the, the larger point there is if you have YouTube premium, the YouTubers that you watch are still getting paid. You are still helping them, even though you don't see the ads. 
And as far as skipping or watching the ads, like you should do what you want. Like you don't, you don't owe us anything. So don't feel obligated. Next one from Caleb Joseph Tobias Crocker. I like those uh, like four name names. That's very like kind of old fashioned or like, uh, you know, a lot of like Latin people have those like four person, those four name names. You don't hear that very often with Americans. Uh, what are the key aspects of marketing and network? Anyone promoting their product or service should study, practice or understand. Well, that's a very broad question. But at the end of the day, what you're here to do is make money. So you should start, you know, again, with the caveat that I understand some people think of it as art and blah, 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 blah. But when we're talking about business, business has one goal, and that is to make money. So you start there. Uh, there's an infinite number of things that you could do in terms of marketing and sales and product development, all this stuff. Like you can't, you can't do all the things. So the question is, how do you pick the right things? And the answer is you start with uh, a number a sales goal, a revenue goal, like, you know, we want to make $10,000 a month. And then you back into that. So you ask yourself, how are we going to achieve that? If we want to make $10,000 a month, then that means we have to sell X number of widgets at, you know, X dollars per widget. How are we going to do that? Well, are we going to run ads or we go around like knocking on doors and asking people to buy it in person? Or, you know, do we do affiliate marketing? Do we pay YouTubers to promote it? You know, there's, there's no one answer to that. Uh, I would say that the the key aspect that you need to understand is systems thinking and starting with a goal and working backwards from there and just learn whatever you need to do, experiment, try shit, measure what works, what doesn't, and repeat. Uh, and that is how you run a business. I mean, it's kind of like it's the scientific method basically is what it comes down to. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hey, you. Did you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-d.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, 
Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>